Ladies and gentlemen, okay, I've done the intro. You know what this show is all about, and I know you enjoy it. But today is a very special one. And it's a special one because the guy that's joining me has been on a journey that resonates enormously with me. And I know that for many of you out there that talk to me, it will resonate with a lot of you as well. So before we get started, let's cue the music and let's get into the journey of Kevin Hines. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You have no idea out of the hundred or so guests I've had on the podcast, how close I feel connected to your story, what you've done, what you've been through, uh, been through and what incredible strides you've made to just give and help so many people on the back of what happened to you. So for those people that don't know, uh, don't know you, there's probably three people in this part of the world that don't know who you are and don't know your story. So for those three people, <laughs> maybe you could introduce yourself and, and tell us what happened. My name is Kevin Hines and uh, I live with bipolar depression. And in the year 2000, because of a severe depression and manic episode combined with hallucinatory episodes, uh, seeing and hearing things that didn't exist to anyone but me, I attempted to take my life by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. That is a suicide attempt that is 99% fatal. Uh, of the 1% of survived that fall in the last 83 years, that's roughly 39 individuals. Of the 39 people that have survived the Golden Gate Bridge jump, I was number 26. Of the 26, of, of the uh, 39 that survived that fall, only five of us can stand, walk, and run, which I'm one of them. They call us the most exclusive survivors club in the world. There's a book of the same name by Ben Sherwood. I get to be here, and I believe getting to be here is a gift and a privilege, no matter the pain you're in. I live with the disease. I have the symptoms. I battle them. I win. Uh, I defeat them every time. I have suicidal ideations on a regular basis. I defeat them every time because I am willing and able to do the work to stabilize me mentally. Uh, and because I'm self-aware enough to say to people around me when I'm suicidal, I need help now. Four simple but effective words that if you say those words and you follow it up with the fact that you are suicidal, you will find someone who's willing to help you. It may not be the first person you come across, it might be the second or the third or the fourth or the 10th, but you gotta keep saying those words until someone's willing to empathize to keep you here so that you can be here tomorrow and every day after that. When you tell your story, you talk about, then this really resonated with me and it upset me the other night listening to it. You say that you had this pain inside your head and you just wanted the pain to go away. I have that pain. So I, I feel it. And I feel you as you share that story. So tell me, um, you say you've got bipolar and you say you had suicidal tendencies. What, what do you think as a, as a, you were 19 years old, I think when it happened. Yeah. Was, yeah. What, what do you think contributed towards that? I know that you were adopted, but um, 
from what I can see from the video content, you've got really loving adoptive parents yeah. that have been clearly very supportive most of your life. So what do you, what do you think it was that, that took you down that path? Do you think it was di you know, understanding you had bipolar very young when you were at school that created that? What was it? You know, I think it was a, a, a multitude of things. Uh, I, I was born into squalor. I was born into a very poor home. Uh, I was born into a place where I was abandoned and left alone as an infant. Well, my birth parents went to do score and sell drugs. Um, I was, I was uh, neglected by several foster families before I got to the Heinz home. And that all affected me. Uh, I was fed in the first few months of my life what my birth parents could steal. Kool-Aid, Coca-Cola, and sour milk was my first diet. So my gut to brain health was very poor from the very beginning of my life. That would affect me in my adolescence. Um, yes, I would be adopted by the Heinz family. My mom and dad, Pat and Debbie Heinz, saved my life and gave me a future and gave me opportunity and possibility. Uh, but at 17 and a half, it all came crashing down. And I had a complete mental breakdown on the stage in front of 1,200 people at a theater show I was doing at, at Reardon High School. Um, and I believed that the 1,200 person audience in front of me was going to rush the stage and end my life. That paranoid delusion would follow me until even today. I still have, I still have a paranoid delusion where I believe crowds are coming to hurt me. Um, uh, you know, my upbringing in the Heinz home was phenomenal. Un unconditional love. Uh, but that didn't seem to, uh, to affect the fact that my brain was already at a, at, a, at a deficit. I was having brain pain before going to jump off the Golden Gate Bridge because of my original uh, nurturing in my birth, from my birth parents. I was having brain pain uh, because Pat and Debbie Hines were getting a divorce and, and, and that threw me off, that, that threw me for a loop. Uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't prepared for it and I didn't see it coming. And when it happened, it blew me away. You know, our, our, nu our nucleus of the family was separating and it, it, it really, uh, at the same time, at the same time, to, to be fair, uh, I was on epileptic medication that, that also acted as an antidepressant and mood stabilizer, but the do doctors weren't aware of that yet. And so right, right around the time that they took me off of the epileptic medication for a seizure disorder, they, uh, I had the complete mental breakdown, which makes perfect sense. Because if you take a person off a of fast-acting medication that is hindering my bipolar symptoms um, rapidly without, without any titrating down, uh, basically I had a, a withdrawal and then a complete mental breakdown. And then it would be two years later when I attempted to take my life at 19. I just couldn't take the brain pain anymore. I believed I was useless. I felt I had no value. I thought I was worthless. But as you know, on all three of those accounts, I was wrong. I had worth, I was valued, um, and, and, and my life was important, but I couldn't see that. I couldn't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, and today, today I say to people who are in that kind of pain, you may not always see the light at the end of the tunnel, but if you can just remember it's always there, you can keep moving forward. Um, and that's my motto is, uh, is, is, to, is to really be here tomorrow and every day after that. When you live with, when you live with regular thoughts of suicide, you have to live by the moment, by the day. You, you have to just say, I'm just gonna be here tomorrow. And when tomorrow comes, I'll say the same thing the, the next day.
Uh, I, don't, I don't personally have those suicidal thoughts every day, but I've met so many people on my travels that have them every single day, and, and, and they, they live by my motto. You know, I coined that phrase, and they, they take the beer tomorrow phrase, they get it tattooed on their arm, they, 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 they say, just, just, just tomorrow and I'll be okay, just tomorrow and I'll be okay. And if you can live like that, then the fact is you can live, you can be here, you can exist. And you can find a way to be a productive member of society and you can find a way to heal mentally. And, uh, and people always ask me, Kevin, how do you stay so mentally stable? Well, the, the, the short answer is I don't, I, I, I'm not recovered. I'm in recovery one day at a time, one moment at a time, one step at a time. And that's the way I look at it. I've got to keep vigilant. I've got to fight hard and I've got to move forward every day. There's so much I want to talk to you about that. Thank you for sharing that. Just, just let's just go back and just make sure that we finish the story off as to what happened when you jumped. Because when you jumped, you obviously you, you survived, but you smashed your spine, you broke your ankle, you um, went very deep down from a jump so high in the water, and and you came up, and and then you had a, a blessing. There was some somebody there or something there to help you, uh, which which I thought was in incredible to think that, you know, first of all, you think you're being eaten by a shark and before you know it, you've got <laughs> a, a sea lion that's trying to help you. Tell me a bit more about that. Well, you know, that, that fateful day, uh, I would say was, was one of the worst and one of the best days of my life. Uh, I went to the Golden Gate Bridge. I sat on a bus crying like a child in the very back row in the middle seat hoping, wishing, and praying that one person would see my pain and say something kind. Hey, kid, are you okay? Is something wrong? Or can I help you? I would have told that person everything and begged him to save me. My dad, to be fair, tried to help me that morning when I couldn't see it. I couldn't see what he was trying to do, and I was not ambivalent, and, 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 I, and I, I, I wholeheartedly believed I had to die. But when I got to the bus, all I wanted to do was live. I just couldn't speak out loud what was going on in my mind. And uh, so I end up the, you know, the, the, the bus gets to the Golden Gate Bridge parking lot and 100 people deboard that bus right there. I'm the last person on the bus hoping the bus driver will see my pain and, and do something about it. Instead, he goes, come on, kid, get off the bus. I got to go. I walk right up to this man looking right in his eyes. Waterfalls are flowing from mine. He motions to me to get off the bus. I walk onto the Golden Gate Bridge walkway. I pace back and forth for nearly 40 minutes crying like a baby. I pick a particular light rail. I lean over that rail, my tears fly to the waters below. And that's when a woman from my left approached me and she had blonde curly hair and those giant sunglasses ladies love to wear that don't fit their faces. And, uh, and she, I, I, I really believed I, in that moment. I thought, this is it, this lady's gonna save me. I don't have to die today. And instead she said, will you take my picture and pulled out a digital camera. <laughs> I was shocked, but I took her camera and she posed several times. And, uh, and she said, thank you, and she walked away. And at that moment, I said, absolutely nobody cares, which you and I know are the fur furthest thing from the truth. And I, and I, and I said, in that, after that moment, I said to my, the, the, the voices in my head, the auditory hallucinations said, jump now at decimals, I will not repeat because they'll pierce your eardrums. Uh, scream, jump now, and I did. And I would fall 220 feet, 25 stories at 75 miles an hour in four seconds. I'd hit that water. Upon hitting that water, I'd shatter my T12, L1, L2 lower vertebrae into shards, missing severing my spinal cord by two millimeters. 
I'd go down 70 feet beneath the water surface, but my, my eyes would open. I was alive and I was drowning. Now, I had no understanding that if I did what I, was, what I did, that I, would, that I might drown. I thought you died an impact, which is the furthest thing from the truth as well. Uh, the Golden Gate Bridge jump is mostly fatal, 99% fatal, and it is one of the most violent, violent deaths you can imagine. Um, usually what happens to people is their, their hip bones crush their ribs and crush and, 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 and burst their internal organs. It's a very violent way to die. It's very rare that someone survives intact. Now, I didn't, I didn't actually break my ankle. I only sprained my ankle, if you can imagine. Shattered my three vertebrae, went down 70 feet, opened my eyes, and frantically tried to move to the surface. I broke the surface after almost passing out and drowning. And I bobbed up and down in the water, and I just prayed, God, please save me. I don't want to die. I made a mistake on repeat, and I really believe he heard me. Uh, and that's when something began circling beneath me, bumping me up, and I thought it was a shark. And I'm freaking out, thinking, you've got to be kidding me. I didn't die jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, and the shark is going to eat me. And I'm punching this thing, but it won't go away. It just circles faster and faster, and no longer am I wading in the water. I'm lying atop it, being kept buoyant by this creature. Uh, not knowing what it is. A year later, I would be on a, a television program uh, at, uh, on Primetime Live with John Quinones. Uh, and I would be on that show and I would say, I thought there was a shark beneath me in the water. Well, people, when the show went viral online, wrote into ABC News from all over the world. And, and one man from Las Vegas, Nevada wrote in, his name was Morgan, and he said, Kevin, I'm so very glad you're alive. I was standing less than two feet away from you when you, when you jumped. Until this day watching this show, no one would tell me whether you lived or died. It's haunted me until right now. By the way, Kevin, there was no shark like you mentioned on the show, but there was in fact a sea lion. And the people above looking down believed it to be keeping your body afloat until the Coast Guard boat arrived behind you. Now, I, I look at that as a miracle. And, and uh, that, was only, that was only a piece of the miracle. A woman driving by in a red car who saw me go over the rail at the moment of my attempt called her friend in the United States Coast Guard who happened to be manning the waters of the Golden Gate Bridge that day. The reason the Coast Guard boat arrived to my position within a three-minute window before I would set in hypothermia and drown was because that woman made that phone call in the timely manner in which she did. When the ambulance got me to the hospital in a neck brace and strapped into a gurney, one of the foremost back surgeons on the West Coast was leaving for the day. He opted to do me a solid and stay. He did my surgery, the first and only of its particular kind. He invented it for my situation, saving me the ability to walk, stand, and run. All of these things came into play to save my life, including the sea lion. What a gift. And uh, like I said before, I am just so grateful for every millisecond I walk this earth, no matter the pain I might be in. Whether, whether it's luck, miracles, a combination of miracles, a combination of co uh, coincidences, the fact is you made it. And, and, and the fact that you can share that story and give people hope, I think is, is incredible. Now, you openly discuss the fact that you've got bipolar and, and, and still struggle to this day. And so what I'd like to learn a little bit more about are some of the things you, that, that, that you use as, as tools to help you. So 
I noticed your relationship with uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and the, the connection to him and the inspiration you get from him from the, from the, the book, the signed book. So tell me a bit about that because uh, I, I, think, I think when you have things like that, I think that they help, but how did it help you? So Dwayne The Rock Johnson, I, I, to be fair, I don't know him personally, but, but the man is, uh, is, is, a, is a, in my opinion, a beautiful human being. I'll tell you why. When he wrote the book, uh, first of all, I followed his wrestling career from a very young age. When he wrote the book, uh, The Rock Says, um, I, my dad was one of the first to get it for me, a signed copy. And there were passages in that book about defeating depression through faith. And he didn't necessarily mean faith in God, but faith in himself and the human condition, the ability to, 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 to fight onward. And he talked about defeating depression um, and, 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 and not letting it destroy your life. And uh, it, that passage, I, I remember I highlighted that passage and several other pieces in the book spoke to me. And at that moment in time, in reading that book in high school, I was suicidal and it saved me from doing anything negative. This is before my jump off the Golden Gate. But when I, when I, when I got older, after my attempt off the GGB, and I would go and, and, I, and I ended up in, in nine, nine psych ward stays in the next 14 years for suicidal ideation. In the first five psych ward stays, I would take that book with me. That would be my tool that either my father would bring it to me or I would take it with me to the psych ward to, to, to remember how to fight, to remember how to keep going. And that would keep me well. And it was in my fifth psych ward stay that this Mexican kid named Eduardo uh, goes, hey, man, I need that more than you do. I was like, you're tripping, homie. It's signed by the rock. It's not going to happen. You know, and he, and he goes, no, man, you don't understand. I'm suicidal right now and you're not. I need it more than you do. And I was like, oh, man, I got, okay. This is the right thing to do. Pass the torch, right? So if it can have that effect on me, I, I basically memorized that passage in the book. I know what it says. I can, I can recall it and recount it anytime I need for myself. But this kid needs the physical book. To, to help him, like I like it helped me. So I handed it to him. And that's where I parted ways with that signed copy of, of, of The Rock Says. Um, but, but, you know, The Rock has done so much great work in, in men's mental health, in just talking about it as the biggest movie star in the world is talking about li living with and defeating every time depression. Um, and talking about his mom's attempt and how he stopped her from that. You know, it, it, it's, it's not just impressive, it's moving, it's impactful, and it's powerful. And when I am in a, in a, in a rut, when I'm in a bad place, I put on, I put on the rocks gear like this one, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I feel stronger for it. And, uh, and, I, and, I, and I stay on the straight and narrow, and I go and I do the work to stabilize my mental health. You know, and, and it, was, it was in my third psych ward stay, because if we're gonna talk about resources and how we help people, you know, I took what the, what the Rock wrote for the world and, 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 and made, had it personally touch me. And then I went and I wrote a 10-step program uh, of how to battle your, your mental pain and win uh, called The Art of Wellness, which, I, which, I, which is on my YouTube channel uh, under a playlist, The Art of Wellness, under Kevin Hines, uh, youtube.com slash Kevin Hines. And, and that, that Art of Wellness playlist are the 10 steps I utilize every day to stabilize my brain health when I'm going south. And they include things like the three E's, education, exercise, and eating healthily. They include things like 
you know, uh, no drugs and alcohol. They include things like good coping strategies, strategies and mechanisms for your better brain health. They include therapy of all kinds because I, I, every time a new treatment for bipolar disorder comes out, I've got a Google alert for bipolar disorder. And when that Google alert comes out, I know what the newest treatments are for bipolar disorder that are formidable, reputable, and proven. And I add them into my program. Uh, and, and, and I have seen those 10 steps help people as far as Peru, Africa, China, and Japan because they followed the program. And in six to nine months, they see a dramatic improvement in their mental health and well-being. So, you know, uh, one person helped me and I'm trying to help other people. And that's really how I see it. Do you believe in antidepressants? You know, I, I take them. I take them religiously every day. Um, but I, let me say this very clearly. They don't work for everybody. They don't. The brain is so unfigured out. It's so misunderstood. We, don't, we, don't, we, we, we know only a, a fraction of what we need to know about the, the human mind and the human brain. Uh, but I will tell you this. When I am not on medication that is right for me, I am unwell. But that's not the end all be all. I have to do all these other things, exercise, eat healthily, um, educate myself as, as to my disease, uh, refrain from alcohol and drugs, use coping strategies that make sense, use music and art therapy, the, uh, talk therapy, medication, meditation, all these things are part of my plan. Um, and and I, I'm of the belief that if you're going to tackle and battle your diagnoses, should you have one, do it right. Put the work in. My father always used to say, Kevin, hard work because nothing good ever came without it. And he's right. You know, when I was complacent and in denial of my diagnosis, I was suffering the worst. But today I look at it differently. I look at it like this. Pain is inevitable, inevitable but suffering is optional. I, it's a choice. I can choose to thrive inside of the pain. I can choose to never let the pain defeat me, but to build myself brick by brick from the ground up back to a whole person. And I know that's hard for a lot of people to see in the throes of their mental struggles, but when you find that, 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 when you find that moment of, of lucidity and you can look into the light at the end of the tunnel, you can move forward, you can defeat the pain, you can survive, and you can thrive someday. And I think that's where people get it wrong. They think that bipolar disorder or schizophrenia or depression or a death sentence. They're not. Uh, if you can change your perspective, if you can change your attitude, you can win this fight. I agree. I'm reading a book at the moment by Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning. Have you ever heard of it? I've heard of the book. It's on my list. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And it, it basically it's in World War II. He's in a concentration camp in, um, in Poland. And he he talks about how we, he tells you the story anyway of what happened and the horrors of that. And that's, that, that's quite horrible. But what, he's, what, he, what kept him alive and what kept him going was finding meaning in things. And so birdsong or the leaves on the trees or the sun, you know, coming through the side of a, a, a building and stuff like that, you know, tr always trying to find meaning. And he said that people search for purpose, but they search outwards for purpose. And when you search outwards for purpose, you're going in the wrong direction because it's not purpose, it's meaning. And your meaning is inside of you. So stop walking away from it and start walking towards it. And it's, it's already inside you. And it's, it's really moving me reading this story at the moment and, and learning about it. You, you, you do some things that 
that I do as well. And, and, and I suffer with bipolar disease and, and I, I need every day to wake up at 4.30. I need every day to be in the gym at 5.15. I need, I, I need that. For me, I don't, I'm not a fan of the gym, by the way, but I go there every day, six days a week, every single day, six days a week, because um, I, being held accountable and having some structure around that kind of stuff means um, with a trainer there means I'm not going to let them down. And, I, and that helps me. That helps me kind of like set my day up almost. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and so you do that as well. And you need that kind of stuff. And that's one of your steps I know, but is it, that something that you're, you non-negotiate with and you just do without thinking about it? Cause you know, I have a lot of people saying to me, Oh, why do you get up so early in the morning, go to the gym? You can go at seven, eight, nine o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, yeah, look, my body wakes up at 4.30, so I have to get up and I have to go and do that. I don't sleep, you know, more than four or five hours, um, and I get up and go do that because I need that. Because if I start my day that way, I just, I just, my, my, my brain is just in a more positive place. Is that yeah. the same for you? It certainly was, and I'll be really transparent with you. COVID hit, and my, my workout routine went out the window, uh, and, and my eating habits changed, and I gained a bit of weight. Uh, but you know, I, I'm back to working out every day and I intend to do it six days a week, just like I used to. Uh, but I'm going to be really frank with you. I was, uh, I was overworking out. I was working out in a manic phase, sometimes 16 times a day, um, in, in short increments because I was so, so filled with mania. Um, and when I, when I realized that there was a manic episode that I was going through that was lasting a very long time, a two-year period, um, my doctor said it was akin to brain damage that I was going through. And I had to, I had to take a step back and then COVID hit and I, I really just pushed it away for a little bit and focused on more on therapy and meditation uh, and, and it really was helping me. But now I'm back uh, working out every morning, uh, doing that to, 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 to help balance myself mentally and emotionally. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and say I do it every day. Uh, when, when I, when currently I haven't been, but, but I'm, but I'm getting back on the horse and, uh, I should be on my way rather soon. In 2012, and not a lot of people know this, so I'm going to tell you because I feel I need to. In 2012, I, I, I lost a job for a company that I'd been helping build for 16 years. And when I lost that job, I, um, then was put on garden leave for a year, which when I agreed to it, I thought it was a, a, a good idea. I could go and do some stuff I hadn't done for a long time. And my, my partner at the time left me a few days after I lost my job. And I, the, the, the six months before then I had spinal surgery and just four or five days after losing my job, the doctors called me and told me that my spinal fusion surgery had failed and I needed to have it done again. So I had like three blows that came to me in the course of a week. And, um, I remember obviously being being knocked sideways with that, and you just you hit a hit something a chord with me just now when you talked about over exercising. There was a period where I didn't sleep for I think nearly four days, and what I kept doing is going back to the gym to try and time myself out so that I could sleep. And all I was doing was pacing around on my own every evening, and it was that's what led up to me um, wanting to take my life. So. Um, I, I, I planned it out in my mind. I was very clear and people say, how could you do it? But I was uh, really clear 
Um, and, you know, I was lucky enough to have, have earned decent money. So there was money for my kids, so they would be okay. My ex-wife was okay. My, they, they had a decent stepfather, so that was all okay. So everyone was going to be fine there. And just like you, it was like, you know, I had the pain in my head. And I was just like, I'm not worth anything. Nobody needs me. Nobody's going to miss me. And so I, um, I, I, here in Dubai, my kids are in the UK. So I jumped on a flight uh, after sorting everything out and I flew to the UK and my plan was to say goodbye to my children and then go and do what I had to do. And my father lives about a four hour drive from my house in the UK and I don't see him very often. Um, uh, and it takes a bit of organizing to get to see him. And I arrived back at the airport, jumped, jumped in a taxi and turned up at my house. And my house is in the countryside in England. And my dad's car was on my driveway. And it's, my dad's car's never on my driveway. Mm. And so I'm like, what's his car doing there? So I went inside the house and my dad was in the house. And I'm like, what are you doing here? How are you in the house? He said, oh, the housekeeper let me in. I'm like, what are you doing here? He said, but why don't you go have a shower? You've just been on a flight all night. Why don't you go grab a shower and uh, I'll make you some breakfast. I, I, want, I, want to, I want to introduce you to somebody. And so I went and had a shower. We had some breakfast. We jumped in the car and I, I had no idea where I was going. And um, my dad drove me to the Priory, uh, which is a clinic in the UK, and introduced me to a psychiatrist. And my, my, dad, my dad knew. Wow. My dad had no idea. Wow. No, so no, I, I had told nobody. Okay. I'd I, clear as what I was doing. And for my dad to be there, it was, it was staggering. And how my dad knew, I will never know. Okay. I will never know. And, and he still, if, if you ask him, he, if I ask him right now, if he would sit here right now, he, he, he would tell you, he just felt something. And for him to, get in his car, drive four hours, which he'd never done before, just to come on the off, on the off chance and take me in. And when I, when I met the psychiatrist, my dad was like, you need to talk to him. I'm gonna leave you here for a few days to spend some time with him. And he taught me to understand the impact it would have on my children and me taking my own life. And, and the fact that in my mind, I was very clear that I, I was, I was a burden. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't anything else. And so when he got me to understand, people say to me, you know, he got you to understand the, the impact it would have on your kids, but then what did you do? And it's, and I'm like, it's, it's not just like a quick fix. It's not just like, a, Oh, well it's sold now. So I could be okay. It was, you know, obviously very hard for a long time. And, and I would say still to this day, eight years later, it's there every single day. Oh, brother. And I'm married and I've got a beautiful wife and she's fantastic and my kids are great and all that kind of stuff. But it's there and it's like, how do you get rid of it? And so it's for me, it's always, always searching. I'm searching for the solution. I'm searching for the, 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 the answer. And it, it, well, I could, the only thing I can assimilate it to, when I was a kid at school, I was bullied, all right? And so, and when I, when I left school, the most important thing in my life was to prove the bullies wrong. Like the most important thing was to prove Justin Zimmerman and Paul Fowler wrong, okay? I know, I know their names. They have long forgotten me. But for the best part of, from the age of 16 to the age of 40, they were in my mind every day. And it was like, I'll show you, I'll show you, I'll prove to you. 
in, in my mind and they were my driver my motivator or whatever it may, you want you want to call it yeah. and, and and i'm very grateful for that because of the success i've got since then it's always been since 2012 when when i wanted to take my own life it's always been after that it's always been trying to find okay trying to find and the only time i really find a reason to continue is when i find people that are in a worse position than myself so i don't know um, maybe you know nick Vojcic. he's got no arms no legs no worries he's an australian guy that was born with no arms and no legs he's a motivational speaker and i'm like that nick you've got every reason to hate the world haven't you you were born without arms and legs okay and he, he said he sat with me for nine minutes i remember the podcast nine minutes when he was in dubai he said more in nine minutes with less words than anybody else had ever said to me he he, he really he really touched me and then I had a lady on the show the other day, Katie Piper, and Katie in 2008 had uh, acid poured all over her face by her boyfriend. And she had um, 300 operations to rebuild her face. And she was a model before. And to go through what she went through, it's just like, how do you, how do you have the courage to stay strong? And then I work with a lady here called Maria who um, helps children that have been born into poverty in Bangladesh. Um, and in the slums and uh, you know they, 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 they get married off when they reach puberty at 13 and they're gang raped and stuff like that and they have really horrible existences um, when, they're, when they're young and when I'm with those people it's like I don't have a problem I haven't got problems okay I really have no problems so I should chill out and I said this to Katie look you know when I'm with you I don't feel like I've got any problems she, she said you have to remember that everyone's problems are important everyone's problems matter and everyone's problems are really big to them so don't ever dismiss your own you know i'm glad that being with me helps you feel that you don't have them but don't dismiss your own and when i when i watched your video years ago and then i started researching you a little about two weeks ago you telling your story it really really impacts me and the fact that you still go on and go forward and you take these steps and you're honest and you're open and you're prepared to be vulnerable about it has huge positive impact on me. And I'm sure many other people around the world who you've, who've shared your story with and you continue to share your story with. And I want you to know that that matters. All right, like really, really matters. Anyway, um, I like some of the things that you do, so I want to talk about them. First of all, um, inflammatory foods. Yes. I am, um, uh, I'm not good at this, because shit, man, I love chocolate, all right? I've got, <laughs> I've got a sweet tooth, and I eat pretty healthy, and I don't drink, but, Man, I love chocolate and I love ice cream. And I know dairy's not good for me. And I've tried frozen yogurt, but you can keep it. All right. <laughs> I like to go to Baskin Robbins on a Friday and grab myself three scoops. Anyway, um, talk to me a little bit about inflammatory foods and how it has an impact on your brain. And just, just educate people a little bit on that. So uh, about two and a half years ago, if not a little longer, uh, I came down with lesions and bloody blisters and burns across my entire body from my toes to the top of my head. 
uh, from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head. And, uh, and they couldn't figure out what it was. And it was, I was an the most extreme physical pain I'd ever experienced in my life. And I jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, okay? So this was the most pain I've ever experienced. And it was continuous pain. It was 24 hours a day, seven days a week I had this pain for the better part of, uh, of, of, of a year. Um, and it turned out one of my medications had poisoned my insides. But it also turned out that I was eating foods that were inflammatory to my system. Your gut biomes determine what food is inflammatory to you. Your, 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 your immune system is in your gut. And if your gut health is poor, your brain health is poor. But the combination between my poor gut health and the medications I was taking were poisoning my outsides, okay? I, I, was, anemic, I was anemic, I had lost weight, I was gaunt, um, just so scrawny and skinny. I, I was uh, in constant pain to the point of tears and, 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 and not being able to walk. So it, I, was, I was a mess. Uh, and it, 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 when I found, I, I, I actually met a man named Max Lugavere, who wrote the book Genius Foods about inflammation and, and, and how you can reduce inflammation through the power, as, uh, through the power of food as medicine. Uh, Dr. Cole wrote about this. Dr. Mark Hyman wrote about this. I got all their books and I started to follow their programs. And I started to eat foods that were non-inflammatory. So I cut out for 30 days. I, I did a 30-day cut of refined sugar, gluten, caffeine, and dairy. I cut them out of my system. In those 30 days, my skin healed. Nothing else was healing my skin. The doctors at Emory, one of the best hospitals in the world, couldn't figure it out. The doctors at, back in California couldn't figure it out. Uh, the, the medical creams they gave me were not leaving, making the burns go away. They were just hurting my skin. And when the lidocaine was peeling my skin off, it was awful. Uh, but when I started eating foods that were not inflammatory, I cleared my skin immediately. Um, it was amazing. You, and had, I, you had something called Steven Johnson syndrome? I was on what's called the tipping point of Steven Johnson syndrome. Okay, the worst, thing, the worst thing you can ever do is tell people not to Google that. You can't Google it. Don't Google it. Oh, tell people not to Google it. <laughs> what do you do when you say don't Google it? You Google it. You, you, you get these lesions and burns across your entire body, and, and then if, if, you, if you get full-on Stevens Johnson's, your, the, your insides boil outside of you. It is, it is awful. So I was on the tipping point in that pain, and I was on the cusp of, of getting Stevens Johnson's, which is why they took me off all of my psych meds in one day, 24 hours. You can't do that to a person who's been on medication for 20 years. And so I had a, I had a complete withdrawal-based psychosis in the next 48 hours. In those 48 hours after they took me off my meds, some of them fast acting, when they ripped those from my system, I had a 48-hour withdrawal-based psychosis where I saw and heard things that didn't exist to anyone but me for 48 hours straight. I saw, and this is gonna blow your mind, I saw the King of Bhutan who came to talk to me, Gandhi, uh, Buddha, uh, 40 versions of Jesus, the aliens that brought Jesus and the aboriginals that brought them. It was wild. And, and at the end of that, I saw the Aurora Borealis for 24 hours, of the last 24 hours of it, in my room, okay? It was, it was, it was bananas. And, and this is the power of the human mind 
when 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 it's toyed with, to be frank. Um, and you know, uh, after that, the the skin cleared, and uh, I still can't regulate my temperature. When it's hot outside, I'm cold on the inside. When it's cold on the inside, I'm hot on the outside. Um, it's 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 uh, it's baffling. Uh, but but um, I really tried to eat- some of those foods. If you if you come off of the non-inflammatory stuff and you like you said in in lockdown you maybe ate a bit too much maybe yeah. if, if you even eat i don't know a couple of packs of doritos or whatever it might be a couple of burgers do you I feel, think, it, immediately. I feel yeah. it immediately immediately you know um i, I if i eat gluten uh dairy refined sugar caffeine i i feel i feel uh brain fog fatigue massive headaches like migraines um, this is legitimate. These, these, these foods are so heavily processed that they are poison for everyone. It's just that everyone doesn't always feel the effects of it like I do or like people who are massively sensitive to it do. There's a guy called Ben Angel that wrote a book called Unstoppable. And he, he, he was a successful guy in Australia and he started to get brain fog and depression and all that kind of stuff as well. And he thought he had to deal with his psych- psychological aspects of his, what was going on, you know? And so then he started researching the chemicals he was putting in his body and he flew all over the world to find specialists. And what you're saying is what he learned as well. It was just like all this, you know, he, he said, a cup, if I had a cup of coffee on a Monday morning at nine o'clock, that would leave me depressed for a week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Right. And, 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 and if, you, if you look at it, gluten has a six or seven week half-life. All right. So if you, if you, if you're, if you eat one, this is what people don't get. Gluten and dairy and refined sugar are absolute causative factors in your mental mind, brain, behavior, health, and well-being. If you eat those things on a regular basis, you might be agitated more, aggressive more, uh, difficult more, um, frustrated more, uh, angry more. And you take these things out of other people, everyone wonders why you're such a jerk, but it's because of the food you're eating and you have no knowledge of it because you haven't read the, the, the studies or, the, or, the, or, the, or done the research. And so when I, when I read Max Lugavere's book, uh, the Genius, Genius Foods, um, it, it changed my life. Uh, and then I read uh, Dr. Mark Hyman's book uh, and Dr. Cole's book. And I'm currently uh, reading uh, books about the blue states here in, in the Mediterranean diet. I'm trying to gather so much information so that I can stop eating these foods once and for all. Um, Cause I still fall into that pattern sometimes, you know, and, and during COVID I definitely fell into that pattern, but now I'm, I'm, I'm doing well for the last few days. But it's everywhere. I mean, it, 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 it's everywhere. And, and, what do you eat if you go to the movies, for Christ's sake? What do you eat? Well, you, right. You can't sneak in celery sticks. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but really, you know, it's, it, 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 it all comes down to that discipline and that willingness to change uh, and the effort you put in to, uh, to make your body whole and, and to eat whole foods and re- eat real foods. Because what, what it really comes down to is these are all processed foods that were never supposed to be eaten by, by human beings that, that, you know, all the candies out there in the world are, have plastics in them. You know, that, that, that stuff just is filled with carcinogens that cause cancer. Um, sugar is a class three poison. Um, you know, a class one poison will kill you immediately. is something like arsenic or cyanide. 
a class two poison is something from a, a, a venom bite from a snake or a, or, a, or a poisonous bite from a spider, and a class three poison is, is sugar. It is, it is dangerous, it is bad for your system, it's bad for your health, it's bad for your brain. Um, gluten, the titers in gluten uh, attack your brain's antibodies. They have a war inside your brain, whether you feel it or not, and uh, they cause that aggression and that, and that, and that, and that uh, um, anger and that rage, and, and, and you've gotta really be aware of that. Uh, and, and for me, they cause migraines. And, and then dairy, dairy's a whole other animal. I, I had, I had, you can tell I've had dairy in the last three days. You know why? Look at how, look at how puffy my eyes are. I had, I had dairy and that's what it does to me. It immediately comes to my face. Shit, um, dairy, man. Yes. Yeah. Okay, two, two more things to talk to because I know we, we don't want to yeah. take up too much of your time. Two <laughs> more things to talk to. Number one, um, when did you last buy Margie a medal for coping with you? Oh, that's a, that, you know what? I need to. I, I, <laughs> I got a perfume for her birthday. Okay, good. She has to cope with a lot, right? She is the most amazing woman on the face of the planet, bar none. Uh, she puts up with my nonsense. She, she, I wrote an article called How She Does It. How Does She Do It? Um, on City Lifestyle Magazine. Um, she has saved my life on more times than I can count on my fingers and toes. Uh, just by being there, just by being emotionally available and being the greatest uh, caregiver on the face of the planet. I'm the luckiest man in the world. I would like you very much from everyone here in this part of the world to, to give her our respects and regards, please. When oh, you know. thank you. Okay, and the last thing I want to talk to you about, which I really find fascinating, which I love, okay, is I want to talk about the Shoeshine Guild. Yeah, yes. Tell well, me more. Uh, you, you did your research, my friend. Wow. <laughs> the Shoeshine Guild uh, are a group of shoeshiners out of San Francisco, California, who now have a shoeshine spot in, I think, London, Japan, uh, all, all around San Francisco, they've got spots. Um, and they uh, were started by, uh, by a woman named Rachel Leamy and a man named Kevin Tui. And Kevin and Rachel... Uh, are both recovering uh, substance users, uh, I think alcoholism, primary alcoholism, and they, uh, they hire and, and, and keep on uh, people from AA and, and Alan, Alan Anonymous, and they, uh, they hire people that are six months sober, and they give them a great job, and their big motto is, who wants to shine shoes? We do. Because, because they take something ugly and they make it beautiful again, just like their lives were. Uh, and they're beautiful individuals. The whole team of, of the Shoeshine Guild is amazing. Top three, top three shoe shiners in the world, actually, by Vanity Fair. Um, and they really are an amazing troupe. And they give people a second chance at life. And they have saved, in my opinion, thousands of lives by doing that. Fabulous. Yeah. Really, really good to see. I've got nothing but gratitude for you. I am so happy to get a chance to talk to you. You are one hell of a guy and you're on a mission. And uh, I, I, I honestly am just very, very grateful for the fact that you continue to listen and heal and share your story and inspire people around the world as much as you have over the years. 
And I'm very, very grateful that you took the time to come and join us on the show today. Thank you, brother. Can I leave you guys with some, some good resources for some folks? Please, yeah, anything. Okay. All right. So if you're, if you're an international uh, individual, like if you live in Dubai or the UK or Australia, uh, you can go to suicide.org uh, for any crisis counseling issues you may need uh, or, or, or to, to text for, for any text numbers for your, your location or phone numbers for crisis. Uh, if you live in America, you can text CNQR to 741741, the crisis text line. That's our foundation's conquer keyword. It stands for conquer your pain. C stands for courage to talk about your mental health. N stands for normalize the conversation. Q stands for ask the question to someone in pain. Are you thinking of killing yourself? Have you made plans to take your life? Because it, puts, it gives them permission to speak on their pain. Uh, and R stands for recovery, living proof to 741741. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline in America, 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. Um, you can go to kevinhindsstory.com slash resources and find a Parents, Teachers, and Clinicians Guide to Suicide Prevention for Teens. You can find the Art of Wellness PowerPoint, uh, the 10 steps I utilize to stay mentally stable. And you can find a guide to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash kevinhines, to see what videos will help what mental health crisis. And those videos, there's 400 plus videos, all brain, mind, behavior, mental health, to help you stay here, fight the pain, and change your life today. Um, and if you want to support us at the Kevin and Martin Hines Foundation, uh, you, you can go to kmhinesfoundation.org, uh, or you can simply go to kevinhinesstory.com shop and get one of these great Be Here Tomorrow shirts. Uh, all the proceeds from these shirts go to the American Association of Suicidology for research on how to stop suicides. Epic, 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 epic. We'll make sure we put every one of those links attached to all of this. How about that? How about that? What a cool guy, okay? Kevin Hines on the Spencer Lodge podcast, sharing his story. Hopefully he's inspired you like he's inspired me. One hell of a man. Go and check him out today and support everything he does because he does so much for so many others outside of himself. Hopefully you've enjoyed the show. Do me a favor. If you're enjoying this on SoundCloud or on iTunes, leave me a five-star rating or go and leave me a recommendation. <laughs> okay, thank you so, so much. You can't believe how happy I am that you came on the show.